0: 1st Thessalonians in your Bible today and as I've already said the subject is serious Christianity. And we're reading from 1st Thessalonians in your Bible chapter number 5. You can turn there and then if you find it before I begin preaching why turn also to 1st Peter chapter 1 in First Thessalonians chapter five, and then a little bit later we'll read from First Peter chapter number one also. Stand with me again, if you will, please. First Thessalonians five, and I'm going to read two verses. First Thessalonians five and six. Therefore, let us not sleep in church. <laughs> oh, it doesn't say that, does it? but how could I resist, huh? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. I call your attention to watch and be sober. The word sober there, when you sit down, you may want to write it into the margin. It means serious. It's not talking about not getting drunk. It assumes that Christians won't do that. It's talking about being serious. Watch, therefore, and do not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be serious. And then in verse eight, he repeats, But let us who are of the day be serious, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Thank you, and you may be seated. I doubt that you've heard of Leah Cherubu, but perhaps you have. Leah was one of 110 little girls, young teens, who were kidnapped by the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram at the government Girls' Science and Technical School in Nigeria. The kidnapping occurred on February the 19th, 2018, almost two years ago now. In the kidnapping, some of the girls were injured and five of them later died, leaving 105. 104 of them were released a few days later because they were Muslims. The fate of Leah today is unknown, although her parents say she is still alive. She is thought to be in captivity in Nigeria, being held by Boko Haram, because in her father's words, he said, Leah has refused to deny Christ as her personal Savior and become a Muslim. She was 14 when she was captured. She is now nearing 17. She is living among terrorists. She probably is being used as a sex slave. For Leah and millions of people like her around the world, being a Christian is a serious, serious business. Being a Christian for Leah is not incidental. Being a Christian for her is fundamental. It's the core of her life. I'd like to define the word serious. I'd never looked that word up in Mr. Webster's book, and so I decided to. His definition says, to be serious is to take a thoughtful and deliberate an intentional approach to whatever, to take a thoughtful, deliberate and intentional approach to life or to the events thereof. We sometimes use that word in this kind of context. We'll say something like, "You know, she's really serious about her education." What do we mean by that? We mean that she is thoughtful deliberate and intentional about her education, that it is a priority, that it is very, very important to her or to him. The opposite of serious is not non-serious. I guess you could say that it is. But as I studied the derivation of the word, the other side of serious is casual, casual. And the word casual defined by Mr. Webster again has the idea of not having any definite serious planning or intention. To not have any definite serious, uh, serious planning or intention. And so we have casual and we have serious. May I say to you today, I think that defines Christianity evangelical Christianity largely in America today. We have two kinds of Christianity, casual or cultural and serious. Serious Christianity or casual, casual without any definite and serious planning or intention in the living out of it. I ask you to turn and to 1 Peter, if some of you have already done so. If you haven't, turn there with me. And again, I'd like to read a passage of Scripture where the word serious or sober in our King James Bible is used again. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 13. Wherefore, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, you see that term numerous times in the New Testament, gird up the Loins, the loins being the waist, the middle part of your body, and gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Be serious and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation or the appearing of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Here's what that means. Give close attention to your thoughts. Prepare your mind for action, if you will. Get ready for action in your life. And then it says, gird up the loins. Well, what is, in in the day in which Peter wrote this, as you know, men didn't wear pants. We wore a sort of a tunic or a robe type thing. And men wore belts around that, usually to carry stuff in. And so to gird up the loins meant that with that robe hanging down here around your knees, it was hard to run. It was hard to work, doing certain types of work. It was very, very hard to fight. You couldn't fight effectively if you'd think about it in your bathrobe. And so to gird up the loins meant that you'd reach down and you pull up the robe and you tuck it into your belt so that your legs were then free to fight, to work, to run, to do whatever you needed to do. And so you would often see men, and they would take that robe, and they'd pull it up and tuck it into the belt while they were doing a certain activity to give them freedom of movement, in other words. And so Peter is saying that. He says, tuck up, if you will, Tuck your robe into your belt so that you can fight, so you can run, so you can work. Prepare your mind for action, and then he adds, and be serious, be sober. And four times in the book of Titus it says to be sober. And three times in the book of 1 Timothy it says to be sober. And there are other places in the Bible. And so I thought that so applies to where we are today in the christian world of 2019 here in the united states let me ask you what are you serious about today what do you take very very seriously not serious doesn't mean somber i don't want you to be down i don't want to preach a downer message today but i'm talking about that definition of seriousness to be intentional to be deliberate, to be thoughtful about whatever it may be. What are you thoughtful and deliberate and intentional about? I would think you are about your health. If you have certain symptoms, you're going to go see a doctor because you're serious about your health. Very few people would just blow that off. I would think you would be serious about your marriage. I certainly hope you are because marriage is one of the most important things you ever enter into, into life. It can affect your life in ways you never think about, especially after children come. I would think today that you are serious about uh, your children, if if God has given you children, and you want the best for those little fellows. And I would also think that you're very serious about your job, your profession. You have to make a living. You have to earn money to be able to sustain yourself to exist in the world of today. So these are things that almost are givens. I would think everybody here, every responsible person at least, is going to be serious about those things. But today I want to talk to you about the seriousness of your faith, the seriousness of your Christian faith. How serious Are you about it? Christianity is a serious business, point number one, if you're taking notes with me. Christianity is a serious thing. I was watching the football game a little while yesterday. It was pouring the rain in Columbia. And yet, 70-some thousand people showed up. And they're sitting there in ponchos, and the rain is pouring down. I said to myself, are they crazy? And the answer is, no, they're not crazy. They're serious. They're serious football games or football fans. I'm not even going to apply that to Christianity today. I don't need to. But you know what a dozen drops of rain can do to a crowd of Baptists. And you know why? Because they're not serious. If you're serious, you go put on the poncho, sit in the rain, be miserable, and enjoy the ball game, don't you? And why is it we're not producing Christians with that level of seriousness into their life? A poll by Pew Research, one of the country's most reputable polling firms, was the thing that really got me thinking along this line this week. This is a la- this is the latest poll on religious attitudes in America. It's it's it is testing polling the attitudes of people in 2018 and 19. So it's very current. Do you realize today that only 65% stop think with me, be serious about this. Only 65% of American adults describe themselves today As Christians. And that includes everybody who calls themselves Christians. 17%, a rapidly exploding statistic, says they have no affiliation. We call them the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, meaning they have no religious uh, affiliation at all. They're not Baptist or Catholics or Methodist or Buddhist Nothing. No religious interest or affiliation. Atheists compose about 4% of our population. That's not a fast-growing number. Agnostics, about 5%. Non-Christian religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, and so on, about 7%. And there's 1% that don't know. How do you not know? (laughs) But I'm giving you the polling data, the greatest concern though I have in reading that poll is the number of people who identify themselves as Christians. Now, I want you to listen to this in the last decade in the last ten years, the number of people who identify themselves as Christians in the United States has dropped twelve percent. It used the last time they did this polling. It was over 75%. So we are losing people from the Christian faith who profess that faith at a rate of over 1% per year according to Pew Research. That's a national poll. That's taken from Maine to California, from Florida to Michigan. And we're losing a little over 1% per year who even choose to self-identify as Christians any longer. Then of that 65% who do say, I'm a Christian, how many of them are what I would call serious Christians, Christians who will come out in the rain, people who will do things that they really don't care about, but it's a responsibility, and I will do them because it's the right thing to do. And I would have to say, with many of that 65%, if you just ask them a question about the gospel, can you tell me what the gospel is? Or some basic questions about the Christian faith. Though they may have been raised in church, may they, even though they may go to church on some kind of a basis, when you find out their level of understanding of the Christian faith, it it is really it is really concerning to those of us who are concerned with that kind of thing let me make a statement i don't want you to miss it this is the whole reason to be here today your christian faith should be the single most important thing in your life your christian faith should be the single most important thing going on in your life. And you say to me, why do you say that? I guess you're saying that because you're a preacher. You want a crowd of people here. You want to grow the church and so on. I'm guilty of all the above. On the other hand, logically, logically, I say it again, logically, your Christian faith should be the most serious pursuit in all of your life. And let me tell you why. Why? the very bare possibility that there is a heaven and there is a hell, that your soul will never cease to exist a thousand years from now, your soul will be around. The very possibility, the barest possibility that Jesus is the real and the only Savior and that the Bible, in fact, is true. That should be enough to cause you to make this the most serious pursuit in all your life, the Christian faith, because your very eternity depends upon it, my friend. And so, if you're an agnostic or an atheist or an unbeliever, you better be sure. And if you're a carnal Christian, you better be sure today it makes absolutely no sense to call yourself a Christian and then not treat it with due seriousness because your soul for eternity is at stake. I don't know how to be more urgent or to plead with you more about this, but you just can't blow this off and say, this is not important. You're going to live somewhere forever. Make sure that you got it right, ladies and gentlemen. Read with me from the book of Mark, if you will turn in your Bible there, please. The book of Mark, chapter number 8. And Jesus speaks to this issue of the seriousness of the Christian faith. Mark chapter number 8 and uh, verse number 34, Mark 8 and 34, and when he called the people unto him and his disciples, he said, whosoever will come after me, if you decide you want to follow me, let him deny himself. Oh, in America today, that's, that's obscene. Deny self? No, in America, we're taught to put self first. But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. And skipping down for the sake of time to verse 36, for what shall it profit a man? If he gained the whole world and he lost his soul, if you were as rich as Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined, and you died and lost your soul, did you gain? Was it a good deal? And then Jesus continues, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What on this earth could you trade that would be fair compensation for your eternal soul? And yet today, Americans are abandoning our Christian faith Our whole Judeo-Christian foundation is being threatened. And I know that people who abandon it in the final sense are not true Christians. They're not people who were saved and lost their salvation. But how does a young man or woman grow up and go to church and go to vacation Bible school and have godly training in their home? How is it that they can quote, ceased to believe and turned their back on the Savior who died on the cross for them. I don't know about you, but boy, this troubles me. We're being attacked from both outside and inside. From the outside today, our Christian faith is being attacked by secularism. Secularism, the belief that there is no God, the philosophy philosophy that there is no God, that, that gives people a naturalistic explanation. And so everything is explained without God, without the Bible. This past week at Notre Dame University, i got a frog in my throat here, but I got my bottle. It's water. This week, William Barr spoke at Notre Dame. William Barr the attorney general of the United States. He spoke at Notre Dame's law school, and he spoke on the subject secularism's war on religious liberty. And the attorney general of our nation said that Christianity is under attack like it's never been before by secular forces. We're being confronted there's a war on our faith from outside the faith and then recently i i read this book and i don't often endorse books for you to read but if you ever want to buy a thoughtful provoking book it's called dark agenda the war to destroy the Christ, christian america the war to destroy christian america It's by a man named David Horowitz. You know what's interesting about the book? David Horowitz is a practicing Jew. He is an intellectual who's been around for years. Many of you will recognize his name. He is a conservative titan in the world of politics. And he is Jewish, but he has written and done research in which he has said, something must be done by the Christians quickly. Because secularism is destroying Christian America. So we're threatened from the outside. I think you know that. All you have to do is be observant of what's going on in the culture. But we're also being threatened from the inside. About 25 or 30 years ago, there were several books being written about church, how to do church. And basically, the thrust of those church, those books were, was this, that outsiders don't like to come to church. They don't like our music. They don't like the way we dress. They don't like the way we preach. They don't like the length of the sermons. They don't like, and it gave us a whole list of things. And it says, if you'll do away with those, if you'll sort of modify and accommodate, well, then people will flood your churches. Well, it hadn't always worked. In some cases it has, and in other cases it hasn't. But here's the problem. To do that, you have to water down some of the demands of the Christian faith. You have to go back to my definition and make the Christian faith more casual, if you will, with less serious intention. And in doing that, you inadvertently inadvertently, uh, take some of the power from it. And the idea was, as we make our churches more palatable to the unsaved, and they'll come in droves. Well, let's look at the scorecard about 20 years later from the polling data that I just talked to you about. And uh, here's what's happening. A few churches have grown at the expense, for the most part, of other churches. But to penetrate the lost world, we're not doing it. We're, in fact, losing over 1% a year. I'm talking about all churches of all kinds across the whole country. And and the result of watering it down and making it palatable is that we basically have, have created a bunch of cultural Christians, people who pursue the God that they want rather than the God that is. And the scorecard is we're losing over 1% a year. Let me tell you something else about the scorecard. We're not producing enough preachers now to fill our pulpits. And we're not producing missionaries. And who is going to be the missionary force? Thank God, right now, we've had seven, eight, ten couples going out from our church that cared more for this preaching of the gospel and the spread of the gospel than they did for their own personal agenda. But that ain't happening now. Why? Because the seriousness of the Christian faith has been called into question. I'm going to give you three characteristics of serious Christianity so you will really know what I'm talking about. If if you're taking notes with me, here they are. Number one is... A serious Christian is one who is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. A serious Christian acknowledges and surrenders his or her life to the Lordship of Christ. Now, when I use the word Lordship, I'm talking about Jesus being Lord. And a lot of Christians think that the word Lord there has the idea of a name. It's not his name, his name is Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ is not a name. Christ means the anointed one of God, the Messiah. And Lord is not a name. Lord is a title like a king has. Lord means boss. To say that Jesus is my Lord means Jesus is my boss. Jesus tells me what to do. Jesus gives me direction. And we got millions of people tripping around the country saying, Jesus is my Savior. Well, we need millions of people who will say, Jesus is my Lord. He's the boss of my life. And then we'll be taken seriously, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get the idea that Jesus just came to save you from hell. He died to save you from sin. And if he can't save you from sin, he can't save you from hell. I base that on Matthew 1 and 21 that I've quoted. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people, not from hell, but from their sins. And if Jesus can't deliver me from my sin, then why would I think he could deliver me from hell? Do you think God is going to fill up heaven with sinners? We've got to be logical. We've got to be serious about this. We just read Mark 8 and 34. Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself as a Christian? Does it mean to not smoke and not drink and don't eat chocolate and don't, you know, whatever it is? That's not what it means at all. I'll tell you precisely what it means to deny self in the Christian life. It means to deny self from being on the throne of my life, and being the boss in my life, and turning over my life to the lordship of Jesus, that I make Jesus the president and the CEO, and I make Jesus the king of my life. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. That's serious Christianity. To surrender to the lordship of Jesus. I ask you a question Is Jesus your Lord today? Is He the boss? I don't know if you can survive in this culture as a Christian if He isn't Lord of your life, if He doesn't get the final say. Leah Sherabu, now two and a half years in captivity being held by Muslim terrorists, and she will not say that Allah is God. She says, Jesus is my Lord, and she won't back up on it. Serious Christianity. Second characteristic of serious Christianity, number one, surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Number two is a commitment to truth, a commitment to truth. The Bible says we're to contend, that means to fight for and to defend, contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What is Christianity? Charles Colson said, Christianity is a way of looking at life that explains everything. Boy, how true that is, isn't it? No other philosophy of life. Secularism can't tell me where I came from. Secularism can't tell me what The purpose and meaning of my life is. Secularism cannot tell me what is going to happen after this life is over. Where Evelyn is right now knows nothing about that. But Christianity answers, where did I come from? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Where am I going? Secularism can't tell me why there's so much evil, why people shoot up schools. But Christianity tells me why people shoot up schools, why people, why this immense dark cloud of evil seems to hang over all of humanity today. Christianity is a commitment to studying the Bible, serious Bible study, and learning the truth of God's Word so I will understand what life is really about what it's really about. Tim Keller is an author today, and here's what he says. If something is truly essential to a body of thought, talking about the Christian body of thought, if there's something truly essential to a body of thought, then you can't remove it without destabilizing the whole thing. Christianity can't just be what you want it to be. If I'm a member of the board of Greenspeace, that's the radical environmental organization, if I'm a member of their board and I come out against climate change, they're going to ask me to resign. Well, I could call them narrow-minded. I could say they are bigoted, but they would be right in saying they have the right to set some boundaries. End of quote. And the point he's making is that you can't just say, I'm a Christian, and believe anything, and think anything, and do anything. There's some boundaries that come with being a Christian. There's, there's that belief in the nature of the Scripture. Is the Scripture the inspired Word of God, or is it not? What about the virgin birth? If Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then He's not God. God. So it takes study, it takes thought, it takes intention. What about his sinless life? If he didn't live a sinless life, then his death meant nothing on the cross. His death meant that he had to pay for his own sin, not for ours. What about his atoning death? Does the blood of Jesus Christ really cleanse from all sin so that people can have forgiveness and mercy and love? And what about his resurrection physically or is it just a spirit, a ghost that came out of the tomb like liberal Christianity teaches? Or what about Christians? Are we to live godly and righteous lives? Are we supposed to live as close to the world as we can? Serious Christianity. Third thing that characterizes it is a willingness to suffer. A willingness to suffer for Christ Paul said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the gospel. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to be socially ostracized in some ways, marginalized? Are you willing to walk down the street and somebody says, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's really a little fanatical about this Jesus stuff. Are we always trying to accommodate and so folks think, well, we're just, we're Okay. a willingness to suffer. Leah Sharaboo has said, I'm willing to suffer. Leah Sharaboo has lost everything. I count all things, but lo- she's lost it all. Can you imagine what's going to be like when that girl gets to eternity? The sacrifices she's made for our Lord. In the first century... Christians faced the lines in Rome. And in the Middle Ages, Christians faced the fires of the Inquisition. And in World War II, Bonhoeffer would not remain silent when Hitler took over the churches. And in Russia, Solzhenitsyn defied Stalin and wrote his books against communism and the gulag, no matter what it would cost him. And in China today, there are pastors who are serving five and 10, and 20, and even lifetime sentences for merely doing what I'm doing right now, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The media won't tell you the truth because they're hostile to our faith. But across the Middle East and across Asia and across Africa, particularly Africa now, in this past year of 2019, thousands of people have died rather than renounced the Christian faith. Serious Christianity. Now then the question becomes this, my last point, and I'll be brief. You know why I'm preaching this to you? Because we come to this 50-year milestone. And I'm trying to mentally work on our people and inform and encourage and instruct. And you know what's heavy on my heart at the end of 50 years? What kind of a church will FBT be for the next 50 years? What kind of church, what kind of Christianity are we going to espouse for the next 50 years? Are we going to accommodate so that we can be the most popular church in town. And I don't mean by that that we not be gracious and kind and Christ-like and loving. But are we going to accommodate thinking that if we do that, we're going to attract people? And the question is, well, what are we going to attract them to? What kind of a church is this going to be? 30 years from now, 20 years from now. I won't be here. Many of you won't be here. But will we have taught and trained and discipled our people enough that the torch of the gospel of Christ and the truth will be passed on to that next generation? And this building be well well filled every Sunday morning just as it is right now. And every time Sunday morning comes almost during the year of 45 of the 52 weeks somebody walks down this aisle and receives Christ as their Savior. It will take serious intention. We won't be able to do it with a casual approach to the Lord's work. We won't be able to do it with spare time and pocket change. We won't be able to do it with people who just come one, once out of every other or two or three weeks or whatever. No, it's going to take a serious, serious commitment to the cause of Christ. And in our culture, that will have to be a God thing. I'll tell you that. We won't be able to gen that up. Serious Christians come out of serious churches, ladies and gentlemen. May I say that again? Don't miss it. Serious Christians come out of serious churches just like healthy kids come out of healthy families. This is the incubator for people's spiritual growth. And we can't, if we want to make that impact, we've got to have a serious intention. Our model here has always been the Acts 2 church, the ancient church. We didn't try to model the church after some uh, church across the country somewhere. We tried to model our church after that ancient church, Acts chapter 2 church. You're you're familiar with that. And there is so much social pressure on our people right now that I I really believe that the only people that are going to really all out serve the Lord are those who have become very serious that the statistics say that millions of apathetic cultural Christians have already defected. And yet, you know what? Even though I'm very serious about this, I honestly believe it can be a time of great opportunity because I think that growing number of nuns in the country, non-affiliated people, they're going to offer one of the greatest mission fields in the world. But we're not going to just be able to announce it. We're going to have to sit down and take our Bible and work with them, and talk with them. And above all, we're going to have to show them the reality of Jesus in our own lives. And if we do, the power of Christianity is not diminished. Believe me, the blood has never lost its power, and the cause of Jesus Christ can march forward, and I'm going to talk to you about that next week. In England in the 1800s, when a person became When a person decided to become a Christian, they were described as becoming serious. That was the term they used. He's getting serious. She's getting serious about Christ. My prayer is that we will be as a church. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.